0: back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of scripture and theology. We're looking at the book of Esther right now. It's, as I've said a couple times, I think every time I've talked about it, it's a really incredible story. There's all kinds of cool plot twists and ups and downs, and we've made our way up to Esther chapter six. So, let me pray for us that the Spirit would give us wisdom to understand God's Word and to believe God's Word, to learn, and then we'll read Esther chapter 6, and I'll offer a few comments. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you uh, are ruling all things and that we can trust you to do so, even when we don't understand why they're going the way they're going. We ask, Father, that you would direct us and guide us by your Spirit as we look at your word together that we might understand your word, that we might learn from your word, as you tell us it's for our instruction, and that we might be strengthened by your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Esther chapter 6 says this. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and let the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horses, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before him, you have begun to fall, Is of the Jewish people. You will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Well, it's not hard to see the numerous layers of irony that are found in this story. There's irony of just kind of what Haman thinks is going to happen and then what actually happens. There's the irony of Haman's pride and what he thinks has happened, but what has actually happened. There's just all of these different pieces that are just dripping with irony. There's also, as we we look at this, there's a number of kind of what would seem like to us what we might call accidents of history, just coincidental things that are lining up because God is sovereignly ruling over all things, because his providence is at work in all of this. So the first thing is that, you know, the first kind of what we might call an accident of history, but an accident over which God is providentially ruling, is that the king couldn't sleep. Mordecai had, I'm sorry, Haman had just made these plans with his wife. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, this is at the end of chapter 5. Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged up on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. So the, the night before, Haman m- makes this plan and the next morning he's going to go to get permission to, to begin this process and the first step is getting rid of Mordecai because he just can't, can't stand him. That very night... Of all nights, the king can't sleep. And so he does something that seems odd to me. I don't know. Maybe it was some kind of, maybe it was so boring that it helped him sleep. We don't know why he he did this, but he has one of his servants come in and read this book of memorable deeds, this book of Chronicles, not not Chronicles in the Bible, but that's just the word for that kind of literature, that recorded, like, here's what has happened in the king's, you know, days, in his life. So that's what he chooses to do when he can't sleep. Maybe this was a one-time thing. Maybe that was the normal thing. We don't know. It doesn't say, and we can't assume one way or the other. But of of all the things that undoubtedly could have been read, of all the days that could have been read about, of all the, you know, years that could have been read about in King Gaiusurus and King Xerxes, you know, reign, the day that Mordecai warned him through Esther and saved his life from these two men who wanted to kill him, that's the day that is read about. And he sparks this memory that, like, did we ever do anything to to honor him for saving my life? And, of course, the answer is no. Now, because this was the day that Haman was going to show up and, you know, get permission to do away with Mordecai, he's already in the palace, or already in in the outer courts of the palace, and so he gets brought into the conversation. And the king wants to know, what, what should we do for someone who deserves to be honored? And Haman, and you just, if, if you're familiar with pride, this is just how it works. When you hear a question like that, you just assume, this must be about me. I mean, that, that's what our pride does to us. It, it makes everything about us. And so if we're called into the king, and he's asking, man, what, what should we do to honor someone that I want to honor? Our assumption, immediate every time, is going to be, well, he's being subtle, he's being, you know, cute with this. He's wanting to honor me, and he wants to know how I'm, how I want to be honored, and that's exactly where Haman's pride takes him. And he basically says, hey, let me be king for a day. Let me put on your clothes and ride your horse and your crown and be led by by your people and and proclaim like, look how awesome this guy is. What happens here? I mean, it would be it would be essentially. Let a pres, you know, in modern terminology, let a presidential motorcade be be organized, and let me be in the president's limo, perhaps you know, hanging out the sunroof. I don't know if it has a sunroof, but you would think the president gets a sunroof, hanging out the sunroof, waving to people as they go by, saying, you know, the president of the United States of America thinks this person is the most amazing person ever. That's kind of what Haman was asking for. Let me let me pretend to be king for a day or, or for a moment. And let me walk right through the square where all the people are going to see it. And then the twist happens. The king says, that's brilliant. Go, you, You're the high official. You go do all of that for Mordecai. Now, I can't imagine operating in the pride that Haman that, that was operating in. I can imagine that. But just the, the gut-wrenching feeling that that would have been. Actually, I can't imagine. It, it It would be brutal. Hey, that's a great idea. Go do that for this guy. The king doesn't know this, but go do that for this guy that you're so opposed to, that you showed up this morning to have him murdered. Go honor him. And he he doesn't have a choice. The king has spoken. And so Haman does that. And then he goes home, and it says that he's mourning with his head covered. I mean, just complete, completely undone. And interesting, it says he tells his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. See, that's what pride does for us. There's, there's an utter inability to celebrate anything but ourselves. And that's where Haman is. He can't rejoice that the king's life was saved. He can't even be thankful that Mordecai did that. It's all stuff that happened to him. When we see, you know, the the situations of our life and, and everything is being processed as this happened to me, it's a pretty sure bet that you're just walking in deep pride like Haman was. But believing in fate and all of these things, his wife seems to think that you might have read the lot wrong that you were casting earlier. Because if you've begun to fall before Mordecai, you're, you're done. You're, you're, you won't win this one. The, the, the fate has changed. The, the die has been cast in a different direction than what you read it. And you won't win this. And of course, she's right. It's not a fate thing, though. She she doesn't get why she's right. She's right because God is at work behind the scenes. And and then there's this last layer of irony in verse 14 that tends to get attached. Like in the ESV, it's attached to the beginning of chapter 7, but but helps us kind of get the the layers of what's happening in chapter 6. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived in a hurry to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. This, This is the feast that we'll see tomorrow. This is the feast... Where Esther's going to announce to the king what Haman's plan was, and that will be his complete undoing. So, so Zeresh, Haman's wife's words, I mean, they are accurately foreshadowing what's to come. And so, again, in all of this, I mean, in addition to just kind of the the, the layers of pride that underscore what you know Keller pointed out in his devotional on, on Proverbs that, that that I'm reading through, and and our family is kind of reading through the fear of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, in Proverbs 1533, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Well, there's Mordecai. And then, you know, he's we've also talked about 1618. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. There's Haman. We see these truths of, of godly wisdom playing out in life here. Haman, in his humility, is being exalted. I'm sorry, Mordecai, in his humility, is being exalted. Haman, in his pride, is being destroyed. And those are the only options. Our our pride brings us to the end of ourselves, as it is Haman here, in ways that he doesn't even realize that it is. And so the lesson here is is really to, to learn from Haman and Mordecai and, and to, to learn these lessons of pride and humility and to learn that it's, it's not about us securing us and to learn that in all of these things, God is absolutely in control and that we can trust him. And that's why we don't have to worry about us securing us because our security is found in God's providence, in his work, in his plan. And his plan will be brought to fruition for his glory and for the good of all who are called according to his purpose. Might we learn to rest there even as we see that plan fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen.